Today's episode of the Founders Lounge is all about Web3. So my guest was Connor Swenson. He's the founder and CEO of Web3 Labs. And what they do is they help larger corporations with their Web3 strategy and building Web3 products. It was super interesting. I think on times it gets a little bit technical. So if you're not too technical, maybe stay with us until uh, at the start of the episode. The beginning is more technical, but then towards the end, we get more into just really practical use cases of Web3. And I think we explain a lot of how it works and how it's really being used and how it might potentially be used in the future as well as where the opportunities are for entrepreneurs and just how to really understand it better, how to get involved. So I think it was super interesting. If you're interested in this space, please listen until the end. And if you enjoy it, leave us a review and subscribe. That really helps. If you subscribe on your podcast app, if you subscribe on YouTube, that gets the podcast in front of more people and it helps me get more guests and it brings more interesting content to you. So like, subscribe, let me know what you think. Thanks. All right, Connor, welcome to the Founders Lounge. Hey, Matisse, thanks for having me. Absolutely a pleasure. So I was, when I was doing a little bit of research about you, um, I realized you're probably the most web three person I've had on the podcast. And obviously that's a, a topic that interests many people right now, or at least they, there's a lot of talk about it. Many people still don't know what it really means, what it really is. So I think we're going to dive into a lot of interesting topics around that today. Uh, so really excited about that conversation, but for a start, can you just give a little bit of background? I, I think this is not your first business, right? So you're running Web3 Labs now, which we're going to talk about um, throughout the podcast as well. Uh, but can you give a little bit of background just to set the stage, who you are and you know what what, what you do? Yeah, sure. So I historically was a technologist. I spent the first 12 or so years of my career working for large institutions in the finance space, always in tech roles, but there was... When I started there in the early 2000s, these incumbents, in effect, were digitizing their businesses. So it was a really fun time to be there. There also wasn't any anything like as much regulation as there is now. So what I worked on was building out trading systems for some of the world's largest banks, which was going from these models where we had exchanges with floor-based traders becoming fully electronic and then creating connectivity to them and I was working the teams providing that um, and also the infrastructure that supports it for these these institutions. I did that for a number of years and moved out um, ultimately between a few different firms, started off at UBS and then went to um, Deutsche Bank and then ANZ in Australia. But then in 2016, after jumping through a few different hoops, uh, I got interested in blockchain and kind of the, the rest of his history from there. This episode is sponsored by Freelancer.com, the largest online marketplace for freelancing and crowdsourcing. If you want to delegate some of your work or need to hire an expert to work on virtually anything with any skill, then this is the place for you. They've got over 60 million registered freelancers, so you can find pretty much anyone to do anything you want. Even NASA has been using it for years, and I've been using it recently to get some cool new stuff done for the podcast. So if you want to give it a try, go to freelancer.tflpod.co and you'll get a 30 pound voucher to start with your first project. So that's freelancer.tflpod.co. I'll put the link in the description. How did you get into blockchain? So that was, I suppose, still relatively early. And I know that now you're very, very involved, obviously, in blockchain. So how, how did you, you know, how did you end up there? 
So in 2015, I'd finally got out of the corporate world. I'd been wanting to for a while. I had itchy feet and I met some other people through one of the networking events I was going to. I was kind of just getting out there as much as I could to these different sort of uh, entrepreneurial and startup and fintech related events and met two other co-founders. And we decided to start a new type of business offering a home loan to the Australian market, which had prepayment optionality in it. Now, the challenge we had was that we had this great model um, in terms of the one of my co-founders had the smarts in order to do this because he came from this uh, mortgage-backed security trading and pricing background. I had the tech chops, we had a marketing guy, but then we had to try and convince one of these large Australian banks to work with us in order to do this because we needed to leverage from one of their, their balance sheets to make it happen. And that's not something you can do overnight, you know, and without mm. the right connections, it's, it's, it's a tall order. And so uh, during, we, we started to lose momentum there, but then I guess my interests uh, got piqued by Ethereum and learning about the fact that you could build a mining rig using commodity GPUs. And I thought, hey, this sounds like a fun little project. And so I built this, um, this got all the parts together to build like a, a mining rig myself, built the chassis and everything else, started mining Ethereum, then went along to one of the Sydney meetups then, uh, back then um, just to talk about building a mining rig and all the learnings from that and from there i met some of the other folk but also started just scratching a bit further uh, and deeper in the surface deeper beneath the surface of ethereum and in my role i've been doing all those years ago previously at banks they we were working with a very specific technology stack called uh, the java virtual machine um, basically the programming language java and i'd noticed that it wasn't possible for people working in the Java programming language to work easily with Ethereum. And so I wrote an open source library called Web3J to that, uh, to address that, that shortfall. And I guess that got me further involved in the overall Ethereum community, uh, opened a lot of doors, met a lot of people involved in it as well, because it was, back then it was a lot smaller. Uh, you mm. could go onto Reddit and you that was kind of all the activity was on Reddit and Twitter. And uh, there wasn't so much talk happening about crypto and these other bigger narratives that is the case now with NFTs and so on. And so, yeah, it was just like this kind of much smaller world where you had this Ethereum community and then you had the Bitcoiners and that was kind of it. And from there, uh, ultimately created Web3 Labs uh, initially to support the ongoing development of Web3J, but then we've evolved uh, over time since then. One thing that's interesting is you actually met, you actually found out about it through a meetup and you met your former co-founders for that uh, business through a meetup, which is interesting because I, I often talk sort of negatively about meetups. I, I've been to a lot of meetups in my early career and it was always like, usually a lot of people who kind of, who are like wannabes, people who like kind of want to do something, but they're not really doing anything. So I got a little bit tired of meetups and I'm like, ah, I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. That's, that's not really my type of crowd, <laughs> but I'm happy to hear that you actually had a positive experience <laughs> apparently. Yeah. I mean, but back then I was going to a lot though, and this is like before I had kids and I was just, I was still working at corporates at that point too. So I, you know, I had this really itchy feed. I wanted to get out. I needed to meet people. And mm. that was kind of the best way I had. I, I think now that I've been you know, running, running my business for, a well, it's just been going for uh, over five years now, but, um, it, 
it's yeah it's it's very different the sorts of crowds you meet when you uh, at different types of events um but certainly in the early in the early days when you're just trying to connect with communities they they can be very valuable maybe also i imagine was that like uh where there was more techie meetups i would imagine yeah yeah i did yeah. um i did go to a lot of techie meetups sorry, uh, sorry maybe maybe techie meetups are also different because you actually get people who are in tech or doing something with tech. I, I think something that I used to attend a lot were business meetups and there we get mm -hmm. a lot of, that's where you get a lot of either service providers or just people who are kind of want to do something, but never really get to doing anything. And then that's why I was like, ah, okay. I was not that interested, but also you, you, you lived in Australia for a while, right? So I think that's where, when you move to a new country, this for me, so I moved twice now, right? I moved first from mm -hmm. Slovenia to Switzerland, then from Switzerland to the UK. And I think it makes sense in those, especially first um, months or years to go out and explore, meet people in person, uh, I suppose, explore, meet the organizers as well, you know, see the venues where everything's organized. It's, I guess it's part of getting integrated into a new country or new city. Yeah, it's, it's, it certainly helps. And, uh, yeah, completely agree. Like when you, when you're in a new place, it's, uh, it can be hard to make the connections there. You, you need these common themes and purposes to, uh, I guess, set yourselves up around. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things like different phases, you have different things that are more helpful to, to meet the same types of people. Um, certainly now, I find that conferences tend to be the the most helpful uh, events uh -huh. to actually meet with other people, and that that's in part because a I can you know, my my work day is defined by my business, and so therefore I can spend my work day at a conference as opposed to when you're working for someone else. Then that's you don't have necessarily have that flexibility without justification. Um, and yeah, the, the the other side is it's just um, yeah, sort of a more yeah, more, more focused in terms of the crowd there because they're all in a similar sort of situation in that regard. Mm -hmm. Is okay. And so then you developed, um, the web three J right. And then eventually mm -hmm. you build a, a company around that. So web three labs, what, what are you guys today? So what web three labs do is we work with corporates on their web three strategy, um, but uh, corporate, sorry, and, um, also, uh, blockchain protocols as well, um, covering web three strategy and also implementation and delivery. And then we provide products off the back of that as well. So we continue to maintain and support the web three J library, but also too, we have our Epirus, uh, like data suite for blockchains as well, which in effect is a, it, it provides functionality like a blockchain explorer where you can visualize details of transactions and low level data on the blockchains, but also the assets that are available on it. Uh, and then integrate too with some of these uh, business intelligence type tools too, which uh, a lot of people you know want to use because of the flexibility with which they can get additional matrix um, metrics out of these, uh, these, these blockchain platforms. Okay. So one thing that I'd like to talk about, um, I'm not sure how much you're allowed to share, how much you can share, but the, the things that are actually happening now in corporate. So there, we hear all sorts of stories, you know, people say, oh, Web3 is the future and Web3 is going to change everything. And there's some companies that are um, 
completely dismissing that and they're like no you know this is bullshit is never going to be anything and then there are other companies that are actually investing heavily into web3 and in their blockchain strategy and trying to figure out how to adopt it and why that's important what are the sort of projects that you are for example working on with your business that are real world implementations or yeah the kind of projects that corporates are actually implementing today so there's been some different waves of activity around corporate interest in web3 and again it's been driven heavily by what's happened with respect to the crypto and blockchains and all the different innovations that have happened on top of that so um the the, the first sort of ruminations that you heard from corporates about web3 were or really that it was called blockchain they were talking about. It's a more recent thing, the Web3 narrative, but they'd, they'd be talking about blockchain and its potential to change their businesses going back as far as 2014 generally. Some were before that point as well, especially people who are really into their Bitcoin. But um, it was when, when 2014 onwards was where there started to be a bit of discussions in mainstream financial press about this transformative distributed ledger technology. And... Um, Initiatives started then that are still going now. Uh, it's not one of those things that they've kind of been and gone. But the the thing with corporates is that multi-year time horizons for changes is not uncommon. It, this stuff is never fast there in those environments. And so whilst uh, you might hear about things that were happening um, announced last year, say, or multiple years before that, uh, a lot of this stuff is still ticking over from from these early days. But in terms of the types of initiatives that corporates are interested in, you kind of have those that early on found a great use case that they're very interested in. Um, they might have undertaken a number of proof of concepts and iterated from that and then found sort of a new angle that they're focused on. Uh, some of them just did some proof of concept, put out a press release, and then were kind of done with it. Um, but other ones, they started seeing all the activity that was happening with especially DeFi and NFTs, which are kind of uh, newer categories that have crossed into more mainstream conscious consciousness uh, in in recent years. Uh, that they're they're focused around ways in which they can bridge that gap there. But I think to say, if you're a corporate right now who's looking at Web three, this is kind of a point where the interest is really grown a lot because there is just much more general awareness about the technology, what it is and so on. We know that is it like five, 10 percent of all people in the UK hold crypto and then as a lot of people hold things like NFTs. It's not as many nowadays as, as there is crypto, but at the same time, it's this mainstream awareness of the technology. And off the back of that, that's also driving more institutional interest, partly because of some companies who are investing in it as well, but also because people are thinking, okay, well, this is cool. Maybe we should start to think about ways in which we can work with this. And so the narrative when we speak to our clients a lot is about, okay, what's the best way in which we can utilize Web3 technology? Some of those companies have already been through the motions before, but they kind of it didn't really enable them to reap the benefits they saw. Um, others are coming to it fresh, but they're really seeing how much growth there is in this industry, even though we are still very much so in the early days. And they want to ensure that their business is not doesn't fall by the wayside as Web3 fulfills its potential over the coming years. Got it. Yeah. So 
I'd love if we can talk about some specific use cases also, or some, maybe some specific projects if you're able to share. I think you brought up NFTs, so that, that's an interesting one. I had a very interesting episode with uh, Paul Price a few episodes ago, maybe 10 or so episodes ago. He's a co-founder of Top Doc Studios, uh, and they, they have two NFT collections, one of Top, Top Doc Beach Club, the other one I think is Top Cat Beach Club. And we talked, and it was a great episode. I actually really enjoyed it. I've never learned as much about nfts as i did through that one conversation with him i just I, I just wish i i had that conversation a year earlier or two years earlier it just became much clearer to me you know there's a lot of jokes about oh jpegs why do you need to buy a jpeg but it's not you don't just buy a jpeg i think there is a i think there's a genuine use case for owning something online right everything's becoming digital and i think there's uh there's a concept of ownership and it's just a different, I suppose, different implementation of that ownership. That's probably a terrible explanation of what I've learned, but if anyone's interested, go listen to that episode. <laughs> Paul explained it much better than I can. Um, but yeah, okay, that's one of the use cases, the NFTs, and then even within the NFT space, there are loads of different ways how you can actually imp implement them for your business or as an entrepreneur, how you can start an NFT business, I suppose. What are the other specific, I don't know, maybe if you can talk about any case studies or, you know, anything in particular that you worked on with your clients, I think that'll be interesting to make it more clear. Yeah. I'd certainly like to talk a little bit about the tokenization side of it as well, and then maybe move into the case studies there, because it's such a key component of Web3. Uh, Chris Dixon, who's one of the very prominent on, uh, venture capitalists, works for Andreessen Horowitz, um, one of the mm. biggest best known Silicon Valley VC firms, he he talks about this, this narrative of tokenization of everything. And this is something I really believe in because it's, we, we really are just getting started in terms of what's going to be possible with Web3. The, the way that he put it, which I think sums it up really nicely, is that the token, it, the token to Web3 is what the website was to Web1. So with the first iteration of the internet, it was all about, sorry, with the first iteration of the World Wide Web, it brought us web pages. All of a sudden, anyone could create a web page and on that web page, you could share information. Now, it was kind of this fairly static web back then in that you could only consume information. You could make any information available whatsoever and someone could access it anywhere in the world who had an internet connection, but all they could really do was read it. They couldn't interact with it as such. With Web2, you had the launch of social networks where people were able to connect with people um, and interactive services got created. You had blogging platforms and publishing platforms and um, that kind of overlapped with social media because all of a sudden with things like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, people could publish content to a community of people that they were connected to or followers and people could consume it that way so this this that version of the web brought this interactivity now web3 uh, provides that but it also provides tokens and those tokens are going to really be that that thing that supercharges and changes how people use online services. It's it's absolutely huge to the landscape, and this is where the the web page analogy is so apt. Because if you think about an NFT right now, really anyone can 
create an NFT, just like anyone could create a web page back in the day. And whilst at this point in time, when you say NFT, people think overpriced JPEGs, they think these, you know, they think crypto punks, they think board ape yacht clubs or whatever else. But that that's like the the really, really early utility of them. It's not long term where the value is going to be in them. Yes, there's definitely going to be a few of these projects that uh, you know, retain their value, but the vast majority of NFTs are only going to be worth what they're, they're only going to be used for their utility. Uh, and so as a result, you can think in terms of N NFTs down the line will can represent anything at all. So it could be any real world asset. It could be, it could be a house. It, um, it, it, it could be. It could be a car. It could be uh, title deeds. It could be um, yeah. The, it could be statements that get sent out. Could be represented as NFTs or um, within financial transactions. Say um, an invoice factoring, for instance. You could you could have NFTs that represent invoices that then people get uh, uh, um, in effect get credit from uh, other institutions um, while they're waiting for these invoices to be paid. It's, it's it's absolutely massive, and this 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 is what the transformative power of Web three is going to be in tokens within it, and which is absolutely huge because the the barriers to entry to creating a token are, are zero basically uh, and and over time we're going to see that that become kind of a native part of the online experience and that's why it's such such a key point so as i said right now it's it's all about the the, the overpriced jpegs the you know the nfts and all the speculation but as soon as that starts to go away people will really start to appreciate what's possible with it so that's um tokenization is huge and that's it's a massive area of web3 I guess the the current overpriced JPEGs are like the the home pages that we built in I don't know late '90s or early 2000s, where it was like, "Welcome to my page." Uh, I, I remember I was one of those people who built that kind of site. Right? I was like, "Thank you for thank you for visiting." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we put some gifts on it to make it all flashy, and um, a lot has changed since then. I had two sub questions there before we <laughs> have a lot of questions about this subject, yeah, obviously. And talk all day on that. <laughs> but, but before we continue with uh, you know with the other use cases, um, so you talked about tokenization. Um, ah, what did I want to ask? So, firstly, so so you said an nft can represent anything it can represent a car or a house or any object in a physical world and what's the benefit of that is it i can i think i can understand and definitely it's easier to i guess the trade is easier right because then you can the, or the transfer of ownership is easier is that the main benefit that's the one that is the most obvious to me but is there more to it yeah it's it's the ownership but what what's what's really powerful about these tokens is that fundamentally they're they're an abstraction they're a common abstraction that can that, that can be universally recognized if you think about right now most real world things have a digital representation but that digital representation maybe it sits in the line item of some some seller of a product or maybe it's with like a government organization that tracks you know, tr tracks uh, the i don't know the the rights that someone someone has to something the point is you have all of these different silos of data and they all use their proprietary formats the the, the, the web in its current form there are some common standards within it such as we have you know, 
uh, PDF files. They're well used standards for documents. You have HTML as a, um, for, for rendering, um, you know, web pages. You have PNG, JPEG for, for, for images and GIFs, of, of course, but there's not really, um, but that's that's those are all kind of standards for content as such in terms of how you present content and that's very much so uh, you know fairly simplistic content whereas the, the the with tokens yes they they're tied to blockchains and so on but that's that's more of an implementation detail than anything else but the point is is that you can define something that has an owner and that owner the, the the management of that ownership is not governed by an individual organization it is an individual organization might have facilitated the creation of that initially but the actual ownership and the proof of ownership lives on a decentralized network that no one can control and that's a really key point because it's 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 the abstraction of the token that's so powerful because it's like a web scale abstraction in the same way that a web page was like a, a web scale abstraction there. Okay. What about and I guess that's related to tokens and ownership, but I suppose the co ownership of the business, right? Because something that's being talked about quite a lot is also if a company, if a startup issues tokens and then users can buy those tokens and then there, or let me rephrase that. There was a very interesting quote by, I think by Balaji, um, who talks about, he talks about Web3 quite a lot. He was one mm. of the earliest people. Yeah. He was, I think he was the CTO of Coinbase and, you know, he's been in yeah. the block, uh, crypto space for many, many years. And I think he said, he said, um, Free, free to use was a good, how does he, how do you put it? Free to use or free trial, free to use was a good use case. Get paid to use is a better use case. Ah, I, I completely butchered that. He said it differently, yeah, yeah. but his, his point was that with the internet and especially I suppose with web 2.0, although not necessarily, um, we start having free software, right? Or free and free all sorts of free things that we can use that we all use online, right? There's, there's so much stuff that I use day to day and it's just free. As long as you're online, it's free. And the way how it's monetized is then either selling your data or there's advertising or there are premium versions, et cetera, et cetera. But he said being paid to use is a better business model because you're attracted to using something because you'll actually earn something in return. Um, is that, I mean, first of all, I don't know if you've seen that quote before, but can you talk a little bit about that? Because when I heard that, I, to me, that seemed like a fundamental shift. I was like, wow, that probably sounds crazy to many people. And I'm not sure if I fully understand it. Probably, probably not. Let's be honest. I think I kind of get it. Um, but is that something you can talk about as well? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's two very powerful themes here. Well, one of them, and one of them refers more explicitly to his quote, and the other one is more of a, a feature of these these tokens, which is very powerful. And so, I think it's f worth talking about the the the, the first one bef before going into that. And this is that with NFTs and the, these sorts of tokens, uh, the, the and one of the reasons they've been so successful and uh, they've made some people incredibly wealthy is because. With an NFT or a token, that's you, you can program logic in it so that each time ownership of that token changes hands, that the person who originally created it 
gets a, a share of the revenue of that. And so that, that in itself is, is, is great for the, the person creating it in the first instance, because in effect, they get a royalty stream for life as long as this asset exists. And so to be able to do that at the actual uh, token layer so that you don't need anything additional there, someone can't take it away or anything like that, is, it's an amazing thing. And for the artists and creative professions, or really anyone selling any product, if you can have it represented by that and you can get recurring revenue or royalties uh, in perpetuity for the, the life of it, then, you know, that, that, that's, that's brilliant. And it's, it's, ba it's enforced by the code that mm. maintains that asset. So that's, it's, it's a really great thing. And one of the reasons why these uh, assets have, have taken off so much, but to, to, to go back to the quote that you referenced there. And I think, I think the best way to think about it, um, and this ties back with what I said earlier, with respect to a web three, you have this, you have these web services, but then you also have tokens that provide a, a level of ownership. And um, with the these different Web3 projects and services, a really great analogy is to say, to think in terms of imagine if every time you had bought an Apple device over the years or when you had participated in forum conversations on Apple's you know, portals or whatever else helped users out, you got rewarded with Apple stock. And just think how much that stock could be worth now if you'd been buying Apple products since the 80s. And each time mm. you bought new products, you got allocated stock. That's kind of the, the model that is possible with Web3 that uh, he, he, he was getting at there with that quote. And it's this idea that because with tokens can be a very powerful incentive for communities. So you can create a new product or service and because in effect, tokens can be arbitrarily created by projects. They are just a digital thing. They don't have to have like a, they, they, they don't have to be um, underpinned by any financial reserves unless they're trying to mirror a, uh, you know, a real world currency, say, then a team can control the circulation and supply of them. So I could go off and create a supply of a, a billion Web3 Labs tokens to reward contributors to a, our community. And then maybe the market over time will put a price on those tokens that actually makes them worth something. But the thing is for us, if we, we, we can in effect magic them up as you know internet money, so to speak, um, and people, if they decide they have value, um, they, they then, they get to participate in the value created by our overall ecosystem. And that is, is why they're so powerful and why they're so widely adopted um, by these, these Web3 projects, because they're proven to be a great incentive mechanism to get people to engage in projects. Yes, they still have the problems right now of some people just wanting to speculate in them. They say, oh, well, if I get a load of this token while well, it's really cheap and then I can if I could get my hands on it before anyone else, I could then flip it and make a really big profit. But uh, more fundamentally, there's just a lot of belief in that the power of these tokens is an incentive mechanism for communities. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that, like one of the, to me, one of the obvious questions there is, okay, so I get, I own the tokens and I get paid. Well, I, I, I get paid. I, if the token goes up in value, I essentially earn money in a way, right? I can sell those tokens and I can convert that into whatever currency that I want to use to spend to buy goods and services. Mm. Does that mean that the 
business is giving up on a percentage of their profits because they sort of distribute that among older users or among older token holders, I should say, or what's the financial flow there behind there? So really this, this comes down to governance and we, we, we could get into the decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs as they're called, um, it's to, to, to go into specifics, if, uh, if, if, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, but the, uh, the, the overall message is, is that you can think with, with these tokens, you, you have some, you have a governance layer that needs to exist for it. And so that could be, it could be a company that governs it, or it could be a community or a hybrid of both, or maybe a foundation. There's this, but you can, you can do this however you want. There's no hard or fast rules as such, but structures exist within Web3 called DAOs that are one approach that's uh, very uh, widely, uh, been very widely embraced by different communities. But what they do is the decision just needs to be made in terms of, okay, if this company is making money, do we allocate a proportion of that to our token holders or do we keep them separate? Do we just say that the tokens can be used for governance functions and uh, you could actually suggest a governance motion to distribute some of the profits to token holders or maybe you just you don't want to go down that route but the, the point is that it's it's all these are all governance questions so you can do it however you want to but at the end of the day you've got to ensure you can retain this 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 ongoing revenue stream certainly what what you see with a number of different projects is that the the proceeds aren't going to the, the, the aren't actually going to the token holders directly, but it's more that they're going into a treasury um, for that project. And then the token holders are deciding how that funds from that treasury are being allocated, uh, be that to, you know, generally the theme there is to invest more in the underlying technology to improve it. So you can think of it as R and D type spend. Um, uh, and so it, it really can go whichever way the community wants but the mm -hmm. key is is that there's a community angle to it and token holdings tend to actually be used to dictate how much weight uh, an individual or group has on um, you know on that community it's fascinating it's just like a completely different um completely different world and yeah again i know a little bit about it but i, I just before we started recording i said okay um I don't care. I'm going to ask the stupidest questions, but I just, <laughs> I just want to understand things better. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are also not understanding everything super well. And hopefully, um, you know, we're going to help with this episode. Um, but guess, okay, let's go back to the use cases because I kind yeah, of derailed sure. the, yeah, <laughs> derailed yeah, yeah. the conversation. I still haven't answered your question. <laughs> So let's, let's get back to that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about tokenization, but what are some other use cases or maybe some specific examples that you worked on? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I won't talk in terms of specific clients, but I'll, I'll give people a understanding of it, the, the, the sorts of challenges that these large organizations have. Large organizations, they've got lots of customers, you know, that, that's what makes them the big, uh, you know, the, the, the big entities that they are. And so as a result of that, that's a significant, um, well, source of competitive advantage to them. And so if they can, if they can find ways to offer value added services to those customers, then that's a very powerful thing. And so one of the areas that we haven't actually discussed yet, but this is quite another significant topic that uh, is 
depending on who you speak to, considered part of Web3, but it's certainly very closely related to it. And that's in the field of decentralized identity. And so decentralized or self-sovereign identity is really this idea of moving away from having these platforms as the gatekeepers to uh, someone's online identity. So right now, if you go onto a online service, you'll use either username, well, email address and password, and then give all sorts of information about yourself. Uh, it can be be beyond just your name, your mother's maiden name, um, maybe what city you were born in, your, um, you know, what your first pet's names were, all, all this sort of stuff, right, to identify yourself. And um, I mean, ultimately, you're providing the same information again and again. Uh, and then these some of these organizations that have this data about you, they're getting hacked, the data, there's data breaches happening, all of this information you've shared with them that is meant to be private is suddenly available on the dark web for sale to not even the highest bidder any bidder often and so it's it's readily available and then can be subsequently used unfortunately for fraudulent activities uh and 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 other uh just you know not not great things um so with decentralized identity platforms it kind of sw switches things around a bit in terms of it empowers the individual to actually be in charge of their own data. So a, a good example here is if you have a, a bank account, for instance, and in order to set up that bank account, you provided lots of information about yourself. And because they have KYC processes, you'll have given them passport scans and you know, all, all, all sorts. So they'll, they'll have a lot of information about you. And, but the idea with the decentralized identity service is that then instead of that bank having to uh, authenticate every or authorize you uh, to, to, to do things, sorry, let me rewind. So it, with, with that bank, they have this information about you. With decentralized identity, the, the idea would be that they can issue a fact about you to say that you are a customer of that bank and you have gone through KYC with them. And so then I can take that credential that they've issued and then I can go to another bank and say, hey, I want to open an account with you. And they would say, okay, prove to me that if you've already onboarded with one of you know X, Y, or Z banks, then you can just show that you've already done that and you, you're good to go on our platform as well. And so what it does is that it enables people to stop having this dependence on giving the same data again and again, but instead doing it in one place with whatever organization they choose to, and then use that as the proof point to show who they are to mm. access other services. And this is something that enterprises are really, really interested in because they already have vast amounts of customer data. Uh, they also have single points of failure in their identity system. So when some of these centralized services they have go down, uh, the, the lights go out for some of their customers. And so the intent here is that you can issue a credential that someone has in a wallet that they have on their phone, for instance, and then they can take that to someone else who can then ratify the proof of that credential easily using cryptography. And that opens up a whole new world of opportunity. So that's one area which certainly with uh, clients of ours, we're talking to them a lot about working with them on because any anyone with a big customer base, base can potentially benefit from this. Mm -hmm. I could okay, go on that, to that, a, that another one as well if, uh, if you, uh, 
Let's let's do another one definitely. Uh, this this makes a lot of sense to me. It's always crazy to me when I need to like sign up for something and then provide a lot of information to them, which is the same information that I provide every single time. I'm like, you know, whenever something is repetitive in today's world, it means that there's probably a solution. There's probably space for a solution to make that not repetitive, right? Hmm. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Let's let's go on to the next use case. So another big one is with financial networks. And, th and, and this is a very interesting area because at one level you have these public blockchain networks where there's uh, de decentralized finance or DeFi ecosystems being built on top of them. Uh, but then you have the existing, the TradFi or traditional financial firms thinking, okay, well, how can we plug into this infrastructure or make use of it? But what a lot of these companies have is private networks where you've got a number of participants. It could be banks, it could be clearing houses, it could be exchanges. There's a myriad of different uh, private networks that already exist within the world of financial services. It could be payments, for instance, like the SWIFT network, which I'm sure many people have heard of. And all these sorts of organizations are thinking about ways in which they can make use of blockchain technology in order to simplify those those networks because really what you have with any of these existing financial networks is lots of participants but then all those participants have to have their own copy of the same data and then each time they transact with one another they need to reconcile data or they there's a centralized entity who manages the network on behalf of all of them but again it's it's very very inefficient and so what many many of these sorts of organizations we speak to are interested in is how they can actually have a a network there where they make use of a blockchain be that a public one or in some often they, they're thinking about, about private ones and use that to represent in effect the state of the network. So in effect, this key information that is difficult right now to maintain between all these different entities can move onto the blockchain so you have a single source of truth for it. This, this idea has been around for a long time and certainly some of the networks that were set up in 2014 are still very focused on this. However, we're just starting to see more and more firms thinking about, well, how could we use this this type of model there? And ideally, how can we actually connect up with uh, public blockchain networks for this as well? Got it. Do you see, the, do you think that, I know that a lot of large banks are currently hiring a lot of blockchain ex experts because I suppose they're building something in this space or they want to be ready for the whatever's happening with blockchain. Do you think that's going to be, do you think that this transition is going to be disastrous for some companies that are not going to be prepared for it or not necessarily? I think disastrous they're definitely... as in, you know, they just won't adjust or they won't be ready or the, the companies that will um, make the transition will just outcompete them for some reason. I think we definitely will see a degree of disruption happen off the back of this because you have, for instance, crypto exchanges that are being created and these crypto exchanges are building their own proprietary stacks for facilitating their core businesses. And then they're starting to move into other more established areas of finance, but to support crypto, for instance, say prime brokerage, for instance, you have crypto prime brokers these days. And you, you can be sure that a lot of the traditional 
prime brokerage houses aren't thinking about how we could offer prime brokerage services for crypto right now. Their clients might mm. be asking about it. They've got awareness of that, but the chances are they're not doubling down on it yet because there's just not a big enough demand to really move the needle for them at this point. And so whereas with the crypto first ones, they're tending to do this stuff quite early because their market is nothing like as big as the incumbents. And so for them, it makes sense to branch out and support these additional services because uh, they have a customer need and they don't have to have as large a customer need as the incumbents to actually make it operationally worthwhile as an investment. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about opportunities. This podcast is quite a bit uh, about opportunities. A lot of the listeners, they're either entrepreneurs or they want to start a business and we hear a lot about, you know, Web3 is the future, not just the future, it's here already, but there, there's still a lot of, it, it's still early days, right? And a lot of people compare it to the early days of the internet, which sounds very attractive because it's like, well, in the early days of the internet, there was an abundance of opportunities for entrepreneurs to start, um, to build new solutions and start new businesses. What are the opportunities in Web3 right now, in your opinion? It's it's huge in terms of the number of different places that you can potentially focus on. Uh, one, of, one of the areas that's... The thing is, there's many areas of Web3 where it's known that it's still got a way to go. The, the one that is most true in this regard is the user experience side of it. Because mm. for, for anyone who's worked with crypto in terms of trying to take crypto from one exchange to another or even transfer it into their own wallet or set up their own wallet, they will understand how fraught with difficulty this is for non-tech natives. And so this, this, this is an absolutely huge area. But the thing is, is that yes, it is a, a frontier right now, the, all of Web3 in that there's all these settlers coming in and trying to put their, put their flag in the sand and claim, claim sort of ownership of certain things. But, but there's also a lot of uncertainty because of that. So there's you know, I, the, the, the risk reward kind of opportunity uh, is very high, but then at the same time, there's, you know, many, many people are trying to do their bit to, to, to build out web three. And it's not like you can, kind of look, find something that's with, with say web two and a lot of say SaaS products that are out there, for instance, they'll, they'll, they'll find like small areas in which they can tweak something and they can create a model that really just works in like a well-established way because um, they can, it's a lot easier to get information on who the users are and just the size of the markets and these sorts of areas. And so there's a lot of kind of optimizations that happen and just new ways of linking these existing platforms. Um, but web three right now, it's just, there's so much less certainty there. You don't, you do have um, you know well-known protocols but then there's if you look at like one of the largest um, crypto or blockchain projects by market cap from one year to the next it changes who's in who, 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 who the movements of firms that are in say the top um, after say the top five or so it's like there's a lot of a lot of movement between who are in the sort of next five to 50 and so as a result you've kind of got to pick where you focus quite carefully because there's no, no one really knows exactly you know, how the landscape's going to play out. From my own personal 
perspective, I have a lot of belief in Ethereum because it's like the original programmable blockchain. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the safest place to be. Um, but then there's all these other projects who've got a lot of funding who are trying to sort of compete with it. And so, so with that, the, the overall message is it's, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of how it's going to play out. Also, there's you've got to think that there's a lot of people still being onboarded and coming on board, but um, there's still going to be... A, there's still going to be another big kind of NFT type moment down the line that will bring even more people onto Web3, but no one knows what that is yet. So mm. um, the, the, the point is, is that, yes, if you're there and you get this stuff right, then the, 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 there can be some uh, amazing upside for it. But it's it's hard to get right because it's a it's a new place. No one's quite figured out what is the sweet mm. spot. We know certain themes are going to work out, but it's like, say, with tokenization. We can see that there's a lot of great use cases for it, but no one would have predicted that the hottest thing in 2021 mm. would have been like uh, this Board Ape Yacht Club NFT, you know? Um, so it's it's like you've got to kind of go in with a... You've got to go in for the ride with it, is my point, in that you've got to be happy to just enjoy the craziness and the wackiness of it because there's so many different people all involved all the memes and everything else that's that, that's happening there the activity from the i don't know the bitcoin maximalist that kind of you know get, gets thrown around because um, we we don't know how it's going to play out but it, it also makes it more fun as well so you know I, I think if you want kind of an easy life and um, maybe you do want to create a business but you want something that's going to be a sure bet it's probably best not to do it in web3 because there is just like so much still being figured out and a lot of uncertainty but at the same time if you'd rather just um, you know, do something where you'll look back and say, whatever happens, I'm really happy that I was involved in that industry at that time because it was a bit crazy and all over the place. I'd say absolutely um, mm. jump into it because there's an amazing amount of talent getting involved in it. But again, mm. it's just where the, the payoffs are going to be, you know, who knows long term, you know, we don't even know if there's it has the Google equivalent or Facebook equivalent arrived in Web3 yet? Probably not. And so, you know, there's there's a lot that can still play out. Yeah, that's there's an enormous amount of talent going into Web3 and switching from their, I suppose, mostly Web2 jobs or companies to into Web3, which is what makes it very exciting, which is what makes it very exciting for me because those are a lot of people who are way smarter than I am and way more experienced than I am. I'm like, okay, well, if they're doing it, there must be something about, about yeah. it. That's, I suppose that's my reasoning behind it. Um, for someone who wants to get involved, what do you think is a good way to get involved? I, so I personally, I follow a lot on Twitter. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm super involved in Web3, right? I follow, I've obviously I've been in technology my whole life and I follow what's happening in general, but I'm not actively participating in it. I'm curious about it. I try to talk to people like I'm talking to yourself now. Um, I follow a lot of things on Twitter. I think there's a big Twitter community on Web3. There are loads of, obviously there are loads of Discord channels, which it's kind of hard, hard to keep up with because there's thousands of them. And <laughs> there's a lot happening there. Uh, but you know, for somebody I suppose who wants to get involved, maybe better understand things, maybe meet some people, just have some conversations to dive into it. What do you think is a good way? So the, the best way is to learn by doing with it. And so it starts simple. It's 
but invest in a cryptocurrency if you haven't. Maybe start off using Coinbase, Kraken, one of the well-known exchanges or Binance. And then from there, take that cryptocurrency and transfer it into a custodial wallet. So i.e. a wallet that you are the owner of. Now I know Coinbase have got a good one now, but also you have Metamask and various other ones. Um, and then these, these hardware devices called uh, ledgers. Um, but the, the, the point is, is that you, you have to get your hands dirty with it to understand what is the state of play with this whole ecosystem right now. So start, start with the basics, then maybe maybe buy an NFT, just find a cheap one. Don't try and buy one to profit from it. Just find something that you like the look of that's cheap on a marketplace, maybe like, like OpenSea or Rarible. Buy one and then you've got an NFT. And then from there, start to look around to see, okay, well, um, if that, that NFT has got a community around it, you could join the community, see what they're talking about. Um, you could also look to find a DAO to join it as well and start participating in it. The, the thing with Web3 is that it's, it's very community driven. You've got lots of loose collectives. And so the best thing you can do is get firsthand experience of working with what is the cutting edge of the technology, but then also start to get involved in a community. And it's not to say that that's where you need to set your flag or whatever else, but it just, it's one thing reading about something, but it's another, it's another thing entirely when you actually have a go doing it. Uh, also try different blockchains as well. You, know, you start maybe with Ethereum, but then maybe try Solana, or maybe try Polkadot, you know, just, just so you can see some of the, the, the differences around the community. Uh, and then maybe look at a DeFi protocol, go to Uniswap and try exchanging your crypto for something else or um, find, you just you'll go to Aave and lend some of your, your, your crypto out. The point is, is that by engaging with the ecosystem, you'll just get an understanding of all these different parts of it. And you'll be able to come to your own, own conclusions about well, what it looks like. Then from there, of course, as, as you mentioned, uh, you've got crypto Twitter, which is a very, very active place. Um, I, I write every week as well, purely to share like my own thinking on Web3. Um, so I, I have like a, a weekly newsletter that I send out to people and that's, um, yeah, uh, and that's that's just getting my thoughts on different areas of it. Uh, because again, everyone's trying to make sense of it and figure out what are the, the areas where there's the, the most opportunity um, to have impact with it and help fix some of the challenging engineering problems or just find ways in which it can bring you value to people and so th th these are things i would suggest that's right so everyone who's listening you have a long list of homework to do now if you want to get involved <laughs> start follow step by step and i i think that's i think that's a very good advice I would say I've done probably most of the things that you mentioned mm. purely out of curiosity and just to explore, mm. right? And one thing leads you to another. And I think it can be completely foreign and it makes no sense in the beginning when you're just listening about it. And then when you try it out, yeah, you just keep start understanding more and more how it works and what it's, what it's really about. And I suppose you start seeing also the problems that there are that might need to be solved, such as the user experience aspect, which you mentioned, right? That will obviously have to be solved at some point. Um, I suppose one thing that I have not done is I haven't joined a DAO. Um, and I don't, that's, that's something I still don't really understand. What, what does that really mean? So if I join a DAO, what, what is that? How do I do that? What happens? 
So, so what I would say is that a DAO is a collective of people with a certain um, belief or um, or values that they're trying to uphold, and so um, they're very mixed. And I I wouldn't know like a, a directory off the top of my head, but the point is is that they're they're people who come together and they want to achieve something through a community structure, and so there's loads and loads of them. them, them out there um, but really it's about identifying with what they're trying to achieve and wanting to participate in that if you don't find one you want to participate in then there's probably no point in doing it just for the sake of it because it would cost actual money to you know, get get involved in it but it's, it's more about seeing what what is out there and you know when the opportunity arises just you know, have a go and uh, you know, just just connect with the people there cool so yeah, explore. If you want to get involved, the first, the step number one is explore, try things, and um, be open-minded. See where that takes you. Um, is there is there any other topic that we forgot to address that you think would be interesting to talk about? I think we talked about a number of things, and it was very probably for your standards it was a very very basic conversation. But I think there's still a lot of people who actually have no idea about the whole Web three space. So hopefully, this is gonna. Be, but I'm um, sort of clarify it to to some of the listeners. I, I certainly see you know, my my job as someone involved in the space is to educate and bring on board as many people as I can, and this is why I you know, why I write every week about this, why I published the book last year on this on, on this space, why I do my own podcast. It's just it's about bringing together really information and helping educate people in ways where. You know, you you feel you're doing every everyone a you know a service that's giving them a accurate perspective on this stuff, as opposed to just um, people who are throwing things around to actually sell products or whatever else. I think fundamentally, it's just trying to create some you know balanced and helpful opinion for people to learn about it. So you, you've got to keep having these conversations. It's going to bring more people on board in the long run. Hope so, and yeah, that's that's the goal and. Um... We'll probably have more Web3 guests as the time goes on. Um, and we're going to, yeah, we're going to link to all your resources in the show notes. So your podcast, the newsletter you have, the book that you wrote, which was, I believe, also a, an Amazon bestseller, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Congratulations. So we'll link to all of that for everyone to, um, everyone who wants to dive more into Web3 and Connor, thank you so much. We're going to wrap up now. Uh, I've learned a lot and hopefully everyone else did as well. Oh, thank you for having me, Masses. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like the content, please do me a favor and click the like button on YouTube or give us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, leave a comment. Subscribe if you want to hear more from us. Uh, that really helps also to get the podcast out there and that helps me get more interesting guests and create even more interesting content. So I really appreciate if you do that. If you have any other comments, questions, feel free to message me. You can find me on Twitter. That's usually the best channel. Um, the link should be somewhere in the description. And uh, yeah, check out my Twitter. I try to tweet interesting stuff about similar content that we talk about on the podcast. Um, key insights from the podcast as well and just generally stuff that I learn and stuff that I do. So see you. Thanks. <laughs>